Welcome to Social Work Made Accessible, a podcast where we have conversations exploring our profession, the practice, and people's perspectives. It's Mingfang, Dominic, and Rachel. Welcome to another episode of Social Work Made Accessible. To all our listeners, thank you for joining us again. And today, as part of our series, we wanted to include the voices of some within the social service ecosystem. And who is one key actor that we actually haven't heard from? These are our clients, sometimes also known as community members, beneficiaries, or residents. We are very fortunate to have two different guests from South Central Community Family Service Centre. One of them is Ruth, and another is Ayu. So welcome, both of you. Hi. Hi. Welcome. So tell us more about yourself and maybe the communities that you find yourself in. Hi, I'm Ayu. I'm staying uh, in Central Area, near South Central Family Service Centre. I'm happy to be invited today. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. And Ruth, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, hi. I'm Ruth uh, and I'm really privileged to be able to work in South Central Community Family Service Centre the past four years. Uh, really privileged to work alongside families uh, from the low-income communities. Yeah, so I think uh, being a, a social worker for about 20 years um, and still learning so much uh, about families and you know, so privileged to have IU today. Wonderful, yeah. And I think in this space, we find ourselves um, sitting together, right? We have social workers, we have community members, and I think it's a very special moment because we are going to have a discussion uh, about poverty today as well. But before we get there, um, just want to understand a bit more about you, right? So every Singaporean loves their food. So tell us a little bit more. What is a comfort food? Like if you are feeling really sad or maybe just oh, you don't want to think so much about what you eat, what is a go-to for you? Uh, okay, for me personally, my go-to food would be ice cream. Any any type of ice cream or in any situation, any ice cream situation. ice cream will be my to go to. Great, great. To, to just relieve me of stress or sadness or anything. Ice cream, any kind of ice cream is the best. Mm, definitely a pick me up. What about you? Uh, yeah, I guess um, really food is what binds people. So for me, I think coffee is really something of all types. Mm. Uh, it's comforting because you can have really nice comforting conversations with people over coffee. And a lot of discussions come out as a result. So coffee is my really comfort drink in that sense. Um, yeah, I really live to eat. Great. So we have one ice cream and one coffee. Okay. So we understand that actually both of you have known each other for a period of time. Right, and I think a curiosity that Rachel and myself do have as well is how you all came together, how you came to be connected to each other, and perhaps I'm sure there's so many experiences that you have shared, right? But perhaps you all can share just one memory that has left an impression on both of you of each other. Mm, okay, for me, uh, Ruth have actually gave me lots of opportunity to work within the community. Mm. So I, I started from being a like part-time staff here to even leading a support group currently. And uh, I'm happy to say that actually Ruth noticed the potential that I have. And she right, uh, right from the start, she has acknowledged the potential and she's been supporting me throughout all events that I've been doing and even hosting. And thanks to her, I have gained more confident in doing everything that has been doing all this while. Great, great. So I see that you have gifts that you have over the years contributed back to the communities. And, and I think SEC and Ruth, the entire team, has been part of that, of enabling you to be a part of this journey as well. Yes. Great. Okay, thanks for sharing, Ayu. So maybe Ruth, now you can share your understanding and like any point of connection that really stood out for you. Yeah, I think what I remember about IU the most was that um, when she actually met a few of us in her community that she lived in and that she's so proud of her kampong, right? That she brought a few of us on the community walk and she was able to tell us the stories of the neighbourhoods, the playgrounds in which the children and her children and other children were playing. And I sent so much pride and and really so empowered as she curated all of us in it, right? Mm -hmm. And she was telling us about the communities and the neighbourhood she grew up and she loved. And I thought that was really, really very touching. 
And I think she brought she invited us into her home. And then we had a home visit and she had lovely children. And I always remember her little girl and the little daughter would follow her everywhere. So I remember her as someone who was a mother and who still is, uh, who kind of thought about her children because all the time she would talk about her kids. And so her love for her kids is something that resonates with me. Her love for her community was also another. I think also her own uh, motivations and her, you know, really unrelenting spirit was really very helpful because I mean she had she had a her, her social worker and she talked to me about how her social worker journeyed with her to guide her alongside. And the partnership was very alongside. And she took that opportunity and she was able to develop more confidence and strength. And she really took on different challenges. And I also understand now she owns her own home. Right. And yes, such an achievement, right? Um, but so that's where I remember Ayu. And even though with challenges from, from what I hear that she's gone through, I think she never gave up. She found it within her capacity to care and love for, for others and um, other family members as well. So I thought it was really very inspiring now because we do sometimes need to see. Uh, members from receivers and they become providers uh, they not only connect others but you know really be able to lead uh, and I thought that's important so I remember I US then thank you thank you wonderful <laughs> I really love that yeah so thank you Lou, for that I think you really brought up a lot of different narratives right of how um, IU has journeyed with SCC and grown as an individual. And I think this will um, actually set the platform for the discussion that we'll have um, a little bit later. So conventionally, we, myself, Rachel or Dom, would actually be the host of this podcast episode. However, we wanted to change things up a little bit and actually give space to the members in the community, even as we find ourselves as social workers, journeying alongside members or members ourselves, right? We want to give this space to y'all to be able to hold a conversation. And both of us, Rachel and I, will instead play alongside the roles and we'll actually be listening in. And if we do have comments, we'll step in. But for today, Ruth will take the lead in facilitating conversation. Okay, so we'll pass the baton to you, Ruth. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think today the conversation first, I think in support of International Day for the Eradication of Poverty, uh, and a lot of us know it as IDEP, right? And this happens actually on October 17 every year. I think it is really, really perfect that we have Ayu, um, her voice as a member, um, who also lives in, in that experience of poverty to understand her experiences. Uh, and that will help give us insights in the work that we do more meaningfully and more intentionally. So I think that's important. So I think one of the main intentions of the IDEP is really to create a platform, you know, for people experiencing poverty to share their experiences uh, and to be part of co-creating solutions. Uh, so I must say I'm very, very happy and privileged because you know, to be able to, you know, have this conversation with you, Ayu, because I think it's, it's really nice uh, alongside so uh, if you're okay, we can start, right? So, you know, are you maybe share a little bit and thanks for joining us and really, you know, putting your heart out here today and time. Maybe you want to share with us a little bit about your story and yeah, a bit more about yourself. Okay. Thank you for having me here too. Initially, my mother-in-law has been staying here around this community for close to 20 plus years before I got married to my husband and joined the community. My mother-in-law has not known SEC, even though she's been staying here longer than I am, but she has no idea where is SEC. So there was this turning point in me and my husband's life that initially I thought I wanted to give up, give up on everything. So I was, I approached the social service office and they referred me to SAC, which is very near to my community. And surprisingly, we don't even know the existence of it. When I approached the family service center, 
that's where the first step happened from being someone who is about to give up on everything. I managed to be guided back, to stand back on my own two feet. So I'm really thankful for to all the social workers, to all the staff that helped me journey through this till I am where I am today. So when I get to know the FSE, I thought it was just a place where older generation come to have coffee. Seriously, <laughs> from the looks of FSE from the outside, that was what came into my mind. So that's where I managed to be connected to one of the social workers from FSE. The social worker was very patient. She listened to everything that I had to say, didn't even show judgments or even like interrupted me halfway through when I was just ranting out whatever is happening in my life. She made sure that I get the solution that I want. She gave me solutions on how to solve the problems I was facing. She gave me like, she didn't even only give me one solution. She gave me multiple choices to choose which one I am comfortable with. With her guidance, I managed to get that ray of hope to start a new. She really tried to understand me from my point of view. When when I talk to her, she's no longer like a social worker to me. She's more to a friend to me. I think it took about two, three years for me to get back on my feet. But she didn't give up on me once. And she keeps on asking me, what is my goal? What do I intend to do with my life in future? She don't stop just there. Thankfully for her, I managed to achieve one of the achievements that I thought I will never get, which is to own my own house. It's not that I don't like the community here, but it's everyone's dream to have a house under their name belonging to them, not to the government. Like currently, we are staying in a rental flat. So to finally have the keys to your own home, it's a dream that I've never thought I could achieve because it's like, with this kind of financial situation, like say the poverty that we are going through right now, we don't see that owning a flat of our own is, is something that we can get in future. But thanks to her, I managed to secure that. And with the program that they, SECFSE have like key, this Key Start program, Key Start have helped me like journey through from the day that I selected the flat to the day that I collected the flat. And until today, my flat is fully renovated thanks to FSE. They, they really journeyed with me from nothing till finally I achieved one of my biggest goals, which is having my own home. And then for me personally, I think there's no way I can give it back to FSE apart from just helping them with whatever. Like, you know, currently I'm leading a support group, which is uh, Moms Collective and also... Uh, mothers within the community group, which is Goodwill Mom. So I find it that's one way how I can give back my energy to Family Service Centre mm -hmm. by, by a support group that can help the mothers in the community to achieve what all this I think that I'm unable to achieve. But by guiding them, hopefully they can open up and see the bigger picture like how FSC have made me open up and seen my life as a bigger picture rather than just giving up at one point. Thank you, Ayu. I think uh, it's really inspiring because I hear three things, right? One, the importance of the social workers and the members' relationship. And I hear that the relationship between you and your social worker, um, on that basis of relationship, trust, and her asking you about your dreams and aspirations was important to you. Second, I also hear about your journey, that it's okay to dream beyond your reach and that sometimes just getting by is not enough. And I hear the stretch huh? somehow, right? <laughs> your social worker was able to ask and appreciate and value your dreams and aspirations, which are equally important to you, just as it is to even people like ourselves here. So 
just creating that was um, important being in your shoes. That's what I hear. But as I'm hearing that, you know, you have kind of attributed a lot of that credit uh, to the social worker. I actually want to kind of put a little bit of spotlight on you to say maybe you can tell us because I'm sure that's what social workers want for almost all their families that they work with, right? But what progress do you think you and your own family has really made towards creating that change? Okay, for me, personally, I think by the guidance that social worker gave me, me and my husband realized that we have more on us rather than what we think. Like we we are able to explore new job opportunities. We are able to like uh, find other means to support ourselves. Like right from the start, we didn't know that we could uh, get help for our kids to be put into childcare. So by the help of FSC, we managed to put all my kids into childcare. Then I'm able to look for a job. My husband is able to look for a job. So we managed to stabilize our income from there. So initially, we didn't know that because all of us thought childcare fees are too high, especially with I have like five kids with a one-year age gap. Mm. So I have from infant all the way until toddler. So for us, the fees would be tremendous. Mm -hmm. So with the help that they make known to us that we can get this assistance, we apply and thankfully we managed to put all of them into one center where it's convenient for us to send and fetch. So my husband managed to get a stable income job, whereas I managed to do a part-time job. And thankfully, the part-time was also given by FSC. FSC hired me part-time to during the pandemic. It was necessary to have screeners to screen temperatures and also FCC gave me the opportunity to work part-time here. Personally, I have not ventured out of my comfort job scope. I don't really venture out of it because I don't like to meet people face-to-face. -face. When during the pandemic, that was the job that I was offered. I took up the job and I realized that, hey, it's fun. It's fun to meet new people. It's fun to even say hi bye to all the social workers. When you come into center, you can say, oh, I know this social worker. Oh, I know this person. I know that person. And even though I make friends with the uncles and aunties who come here to read newspaper also. So basically, when now when we walk past, I see each other, we can even say hi. And they know me as someone who used to work at FSC. With this, they gave us the solutions and we managed to apply, we managed to get it. So my husband, we slowly, we upgrade ourselves. I even took some courses referred to me by FSC. I even upgraded myself. Then I even had a diploma thanks to FSC. Then at the end of the day, I managed to learn something new for myself. So I started to upgrade myself. With my free time, I managed to upgrade myself and now I'm even more confident to like you know communicate rather than like being a stay-home mom before this. I literally forget how to make new friends, how to talk to people. Like literally I only talk to children because my kids were all so young at that point of time. And my husband upgraded himself during his free time. We literally took everything like a step at a time we didn't want to rush into anything because of course we are afraid we will fall but with each other's support and also we know FSC behind us we have almost reached our goals in life thankfully <laughs> so we I me and my husband hope that we can continue to go up that ladder and try to achieve more since we know we can already achieve one we will try to achieve more goals that we want for the future thank you Ayu I think what you just said is that the journey is so real right and there of course lies some fear that you know what if things don't work out which I think represents a lot of what people feel when they are living in uh, and experiencing where you are at um, I'm very curious about 
um, you know, about how the children see that change. So I'm just curious, you say you're a mother of five. So I'm curious, what do you think your children see from you and your husbands of what you are going through in this journey? And how does it make sense for them? For my children, because initially uh, they are still young, so they they don't they don't really understand what we have gone through. So that's when me and my husband say that we cannot let them face this until to the stage where they already understand the situation. So we have to try to change something before they start to understand the situation. So that's when, thankfully. We managed to stabilize ourselves right before my kids literally know how to understand what we are going through currently. We, we want them to know that everything is not a challenge. It's not a competition where if your friend have it, you must have it. So because he did tell me that oh, one of uh, when one day I just bought him a new deck of Pokemon cards, he came back with half of it. Then I asked him, where's the other half? And I said, oh, my friend, the mother cannot buy. So I gave him play half. Tomorrow he come back, he gave me back. I said, okay, that's good. That's good that you want to do that. Then, uh, But then I told him that, but don't expect him to return back. Because if you give someone something, you don't expect them to return everything back. Because there, there may be, he may have lost it one way or another or his siblings played it one way or another so so that's where I taught him like okay different people have different difficulties so sometimes when you ask me to buy for you things I cannot buy for you because I don't have the means to buy for you at that point of time so you don't keep on asking me you don't keep on pestering me I will buy for you when I think I'm able to buy for you so my son knows that that is what I already input on him. So whenever he asked me for something and I couldn't get it, then he will ask me, is it expensive? That's why you cannot buy for me. And I say, yeah, a little bit expensive. And he say, okay, never mind. You get your pay, then we buy. So from there, I realized that by inputting this early in my children, they realized that for not everything I ask, I will get. I have to understand that mommy cannot get it. So mommy will try her best. Even if I never get it for them, they still understand that, oh, okay, never mind. Next time you can buy for me. So when I input it on my first son, the second one sees, they follow suit. Mm. So even the first one will remind the second one, don't ask. Mommy say later. So later then mommy buy. Then so from there I realized that, okay, uh, my son is now old enough to understand the situation. So I also need to learn how to communicate with them better so that they don't feel so stressed with whatever I'm facing. I think that's one one way I think my kids have taught me how to be more responsible in whatever I say, in whatever I do. Thank you, Ayu. I think what you just said was your own experience of wanting to bring your family along with I mean, with you and your husband through upgrading, you know, through wanting to get access to resources, to wanting to make sure your children have a better life. I hear that, you know, you did take upon yourself, both you and your husband, to bring your kids to a better space, right? Uh, but of course, we all know that it's a journey. So I guess my question would be that, really, if you had a magic wand, right? And we always know we all have our challenges, um, how would you like your life to change? Because you say you're close to achieving your dreams and you've got a space now. So as you look at your journey ahead, do you have any um, wish lists? How do you think things will look like beyond that? If I literally have a magic wand, I will like make sure I wave that wand and take all the shortcuts that is possible to achieve whatever we want to achieve because it's a long process. And I've seen many people quit during the process to achieve. Because in my community, I'm not the only one going through this. So I've seen a few mummies in my community quit halfway. Even though when we are there for them, I keep on telling them, look at me, I'm your living example. I can go far. You can do it too. But 
different household, different challenges. So they, they decided to just quit halfway. They have more potential, but they just choose because of situation, because of current like support. There's no support. So like for me, I'm thankful that my husband is supportive, my mother-in-law is supportive. And we took things positively. It's difficult, but sometimes the long journey is what makes people give up halfway. So if I really have a major one, I want, I make sure everything got shortcut. So just can just go straight, go straight to the goal. So TV pass forward, yeah. right? Okay. So are you thank you for that? That you if you could, you want to fast forward all the shortcuts. And uh just curious, how long has this journey been for you? As you look back, how many years has it taken for you? I've been married for eight years. So it all started like the second year of my marriage. So everything went downhill on the second year. So it took me about close to six years for me to achieve one quarter of what I want to achieve. So six years to achieve one quarter for some people, it, it, it's very long. Because you only achieve one quarter, then six years already. Then another three quarter, another 18 years. But then for me, it's like these six years, even though it's six years to notice this change, but this is one of the bigger change that I can see that in future, from this change, I'm able to upgrade more. It gets easier after this. The first goal that I achieve, it will get easier eventually. Which I noticed, yeah, even like after my first challenge was to whether I have enough CPF for my house. I passed that hurdle. So it got easier. I was thinking about renovation. Key start came in. Renovation center. Then after that, I was thinking like, oh, furniture. If I shift, I need new furniture. A member of the community gave me a lot of furniture, fully furnished. My house is fully furnished because of this member of community. She has connection where she gets blessings from other people, usually like from condos, those expats who's moving back to their country. So their furniture are actually literally new. She asked them, can you give like this sofa? Can you give this bed for this mom? They, they wholeheartedly give me. So actually my house, Fully finished, thanks to them. So then the, the other hurdle settled, which is I think the moment you manage to cross the first hurdle, the second, third one will be, easy. it will get easier and easier after that. Yeah, thank you, Ayu, for that, because I think that's very encouraging, especially not only for social workers, uh, that, you know, sometimes when they manage uh, members' cases, they always wonder when is the also the magic wand going to happen and I also hear that you said that crossing small hurdles is a first start into crossing bigger hurdles and eventually you turn back and you see that you cross so many hurdles that's what I see are you you have done mm -hmm. um and so I just had to ask this question more like on behalf of like a social worker right is how do you know one day that your case can be closed at the FSC level Mm. Uh, initially I was reluctant to approach any social worker but then as weeks and months go by where my social worker tell me that no your concern is actually very concerning like, it's not something small to you it may be something small that we don't look at it but actually it's something that because of this it may lead to the life and death situation where it becomes more stress then you decided like to your mental health become an issue and also maybe we just sometimes we just need someone to like draw the path for us to follow then we choose the left and right they choose the they give us the bigger picture so that we can understand because at that situation we won't we won't even think of ration we don't we won't have rational thinking so their part they did the mapping for us it's up to us which way we want to go. So that's when I tell my husband that if we follow, if we get like their guidance, eventually we will reach a one point that we think, okay, they have helped us enough. It's time that we take it back. We decide what to do next. 
So that's where currently I am now, thankfully. And now I'm giving back to the community by helping the communities, especially the mothers in the community. There are many programs that FSC is giving, only that no one in my community is aware. They don't know that, oh, FSC have this Moms Collective, where Moms Collective, we get together mothers to do activities, to do some research on what can help them be better. From my end, because of this kind of activity, I managed to see my own potential and I managed to open up myself and go through the first hurdle. So I want these mummies to also like, like cross the first hurdle, then see what you guys are potential on doing. I want all the mothers in the community to get this opportunity too. So that's where I decided to lead Moms Collective. And then Google Moms basically is to get together every mother in the community to learn uh, how to pass down things that, uh, you know, especially like for mothers, right? Our kids outgrow our, their shirts, outgrow their toys, outgrow everything. And like everybody say, another man's trash is another man's treasure. So when they pass down, the other family who receive it is way more thankful. So rather than having to source outside or ask social worker to go on website to search for this, we can get like from our own members from the community and if it's member from the community, it's very near. So it's easy for them to collect and also to deliver. So I think that's a few things that I want uh, like the members in the community to know about. Uh. Thank you, Ayu. I think it's really like, um, as you talk about, you know, how you co-created some of the solutions, right? And you also came out with leading some of those. It's really very encouraging. Um, I also hear how you're able to mobilize you know, your own community, uh, embrace other mothers, organize yourselves around them and get them to organize around themselves and how they can pay it forward to other mothers. And sounds like there's a lot of support and a lot of connections. And that's so important in working in the community. Um, and thank you for that. I think that's very inspiring, right? And there's so much more that you are able to do and also others as well. Um, I'm just curious at this point about, because we've been talking today, and IDEP is really about uh, internationally for the eradication of poverty. So now maybe let's talk a little bit about poverty, right? I mean, this word is always very used uh, everywhere interchangeably. But I'm just very curious from your view, actually, what does poverty mean to you in Singapore? Uh, okay, for me, right, poverty doesn't mean that you just don't have food and like, financial like i mean cash and all of you poverty is not just that like you know currently especially during the pandemic everybody needs computers some families have enough food and like uh, cash to pay their bills but their cash is just for their meals and also their electricity bills and all that's where they couldn't afford laptops and even mobile device or even some community members I know don't even have Wi-Fi which is for me Wi-Fi is like a normal thing that every household needs but then some families because they in order to have sufficient food on the table and income to pay the bills they cannot afford additional bills like the Wi-Fi bills and also the handphone bills so that is part of poverty too for me this is one thing that family needs for their kids to achieve their academic wise and also not to miss out on whatever is happening currently. So if like one household has no laptop, then they miss out on all the SLS, they miss out on all their homework. Then for me, poverty has a lot of kind. Like, like doesn't have to be just cash and also food. Some even they have sufficient, but they are they are not like mentally looked after where they they i can have all the money in the world but if i don't have anyone to talk to if i have no friends it's still poverty to me even when everybody say everything can be settled by money i don't think everything can be settled by money because i have friends who are well to do but they decided to end their life because of depression because of what so i think some people will like find poverty like, differently but I think for me, different poverty comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Mm. 
you don't have to just link like don't just because you stay in a rental flat you are poor no, no, no. because sometimes those who stay in a rental flat are more richer than those who are staying in landed properties seriously i've seen people who stay in rental flat they have no debts at all zero for me that is already rich because i don't owe anyone anything and everything is paid off but those who stay in landed property have car loans to pay, have house loan to pay. You, do you get what I mean? So I think it depends on how individually things, what is poverty. Lah. Thank you, Ayu. I think uh, that really gives us insight, right? That um, poverty means not just uh, financial limitations and challenges, but also, you know, it's not just having barely enough to bring food to the table. But also, uh, I mean, is there opportunities to be plugged in to example digital inclusions? Uh, do you feel connected to communities? Um, do you feel like, you know, um, there is really able to get access to those opportunities? And that's what I hear. It's, uh, that's what poverty also includes, right? Mm -hmm. If you could kind of help debunk means to say like help everybody understand something differently about people living in poverty, what would it be? Because sometimes there are stereotypes, right? I mean, um, I know it's <laughs> everywhere. Uh... <laughs> what I can say is that whenever, never, never judge like a book by by its cover. So even if there's this someone who stays in a rental flat, he may have more nicer food than those who stays in a three four room flat because the mother at home cooks whereas your mother or the great food for for you like ah uh, okay um i can afford to eat mcdonald's every day it's okay but then i my mother cook three dishes every day sometimes those who live in this kind of situation have something to be proud of also doesn't mean like oh uh just because i cannot afford mcdonald's every day i eat very nice food my mother cook rendang my mother cook sambal udang i think my sambal udang and rendang is nicer than your mcdonald's like we we need the community like not not only the community like everyone in general to understand that singapore is not a country where you can say that oh just because you stay in rental flat you are poor just because I stay in a five-room flat, I'm rich. No. Because in Singapore, as long as you can go from point A to point B, that means you have the means. If you, you can send your kids to school, your kids finish their studies, that is one thing that, you know, even nowadays, they, they have scholarship for you to send your children to a local university. I realise that people who have to go through hardship, will treasure what they have more than those who just get whatever they want the next day. That's what I realised. Thank you so much, Ayu. I think that's really um, good insights. Um, and you talk about, you know, never judge a book by its cover. And I also hear about, you know, the lovely rendangs that you have compared <laughs> to the non-cooked food and the grad food that, you know, people have to trade on. So I'm also hearing along this journey that, you know, um, there are even people who might live in rental communities does not mean that they are deprived of certain things uh, and that they also have a meaningful and dignified life. They also want quite similar to what everybody else wants. It's a universal need, right? That's mm -hmm. what I hear. And for people to be mindful about that. That's what I hear. And that's so important. Yeah. So I think the message is so powerful. So then I want to lead on to the next part. Huh? Uh, thank you, Ayu. I think it's also about because you kind of in the last six years kind of experienced different people on the journey, right? Just now you mm -hmm. talked about the social worker, you went to SSO, you got you know many different people in the communities, you got mothers, you got people that you experience different stakeholders in your this you know ecosystem and this kampong, right? So I'm actually curious, how do you experience all these different people? Okay. For me personally, I I've told my story to a lot of organizations. I think I've repeated my story like the I mean the first few years of when I first started getting the downfall. So I've told my stories 10, 20 times. Not all organizations like, look at my story as a whole, but mainly as what you could have done. So it's like, 
oh, it's only you, your husband, your two kids. You shouldn't have like, have problems with that. But then, like, there are organizations who look at it as a whole. Like, oh, okay, I have a mother who just suffered stroke. Then I have three, like, I mean, three boys that I'm looking after due to unforeseen circumstances. So there are places where they look at it like that. But certain government sectors, I, I understand it's protocol, it's, it's their black and white, it's something that they, they, they have to follow. But we need you to look at it as a whole picture, not as a stat statistic. Is it? I know that not all organizations can give you whatever you want. But then I think one way or another, if only we can like have like you listen to us first. Really, you know, I think that insight is very helpful. You know, to look at bigger picture, right? At the same time, different members have different uh, age groups, different um, ways of communicating uh, with different of the stakeholders and how we can also be very mindful uh, about, you know, looking at the family as a whole uh, and that they all have their own different family life cycle, right? Mm. Challenges and being sensitive to the challenges. Uh, and really, that is important. Right, so I think that's really really helpful. Um, so I'm very curious, you know, because October is the month of uh, IDEF, and I know that you you have taken on so many roles, right? You're a mother, you're a wife, you're a daughter-in-law, you're a daughter, you know, you're a community advocate, right? You're a connector, you lead communities, you support mothers. Um, so I'm just thinking in the role of trying to eradicate poverty means really wanting poverty to end one day. Mm -hmm. You know, what role do you think you can play? Okay, for now, currently, I am doing, I've mentioned earlier, Moms Collective. We get together a group of mummies who we get to know from the community also. When we get them together, we ask them personally from individually, like, what do you think can help you be like a better mother, a better person in the community? Every bi-weekly, they will share with us what are their insights on their current situation. We recovered stress management. We covered like childcare arrangements. Like with childcare arrangement, we managed to like inform one another. Okay, if this your your children cannot wake up early in the morning, what what need to be done? We we did share that. No, we have one mummy who is like have a teenage daughter, cannot wake up to school every morning, even though the school is just opposite the block. She will always be late for school. So then one mommy say, hey, if I were you, I'd take uh, one pill of water and splash on her face already. The mother did. The mommy did literally the following week. And the daughter is no longer late. <laughs> so, so from there, they share. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, so from there, they share, you know, like one way, okay, if your, your children don't want to listen, this is what you do. So it, even when we, we look at it as just like a lepak session, we say like lepak session like that. But actually, one mummy learned something new from another mummy. So something that we have never really shared with anyone. So they managed to learn. And then we covered some, even we did some activities where we realized that the mummies are very interested in. We had the flower arrangement when we didn't realize that all these five people are interested in flower arranging. Suddenly, all the mummies are interested and they did the flower arrangement and like concentrated on it as if it's the art project. Okay, so, the mummies find relaxation by doing this. Then, after that, we, we did baking with the mummies. I, I never realized that actually all the mummies like baking so much. So, we had someone come down to teach them how to do basic baking. All the mummies bake at home and even some came back to the center to bake to give to the teachers during Teacher's Day. So they, they took what they learned from the activity that we had for them. They turned it into something that rather than I buy a Teacher's Day gift, I'll just bake some cookies, put it in a bag, give to the teachers, homemade. After, usually every after after event, right, we will ask the mummy, okay, what do you feel about it? So the mommy say, oh, you know, now every week I look forward to attending this activity to this. So I realized that one thing that is really important for mothers in the community is their me time. So with this activity, FSU so 
has child minding. So basically, their children are away from them during this discussion, during this activity, which is thanks to all those child minding crew. I know it's very hard, but they are standing strong. <laughs> so then uh, the mummies has their me time. Even though it's just one and a half hours, the mummy look forward to the next event, to the next event. Some even suggested we do it weekly. Lah. I say, oh, weekly cannot. <laughs> weekly, I got no time. <laughs> we want the mummies to like explore other like activities that may make them interested. And at the end of the day, can be their side income. Especially baking nowadays, a lot of home bakers. So one mummies even like raised the concern that she wants to learn more. One mummy even like show her where to go to take the hygiene course so that she when she do it home base, uh it's she's doing it correctly. So from there I realized that when they get together, when we brainstorm, we can come up with more ideas on how to upgrade ourselves. We have mummies who are interested in learning Excel, Microsoft, even the basic Microsoft also. For me, it's like okay, if that's what you want to learn. We can come up with that. Then we can let someone teach you how to do it. Thank you, Ayu, for sharing. I just wanted to jump in at this point in time because I've heard a lot from Ayu, right, about your experiences organizing and mobilizing communities. And I think as Ruth was mentioning earlier, the role you play actually may not be very conventional as what we see, right? Sometimes as social workers, we think, okay, we step in and then we have this plan and then we follow it. But actually, you are taking what you have been given and then you're actually using your skills and giving it back to the communities to enable the mothers then to discover their own potential as you were mentioning that they actually have spaces to build on their interests and to better understand their own communities themselves and earlier you mentioned that poverty isn't just a very linear definition of i got no money i got no food right there's also that part where maybe it's the social part right that we maybe a bit more impoverished in our social relations. And this is the space, um, even as you create spaces for people to come together, um, I think that what I, what I see your role to be now, you are enabling others to be able to step up and discover spaces for themselves in which they can own, they can participate in fully. Yeah, so I just really wanted to encourage you for this. And I think it's so wonderful to hear that from you. Yeah. Thank you, Ayu. Um, as I was hearing you talk, maybe uh, listeners can't, can't see that, but I saw a spark in your eyes, right? As you were talking about it, and you went on talking about the excitement. And I think that's something social workers always aspire to see their members excited. Because it's always about problems and issues and challenges. And I hear now it's about what's possible, about wanting to have the ownership to make decisions. And the role of social workers might be really as guides and alongsiders, but you do want to have that space to make informed decisions about your own families. You want to have uh, that respect and that dignified space to make that decisions. At the same time, contribute uh, to a community that only you all would know best in, right? And so stepping up into this space that you live in this community, I thought it was really very um, uh, very heartening, you know. So I could see, like, really, we were really lighted up, by the way, for those who couldn't see it. They're very proud. Yeah, you probably hear it in your voice, right? It sounds different. And I hear this few words that came up were like talents, um, interests, um, people have gifts to offer. And I'm also hearing how even a flower arrangement is something that's so precious uh, that we forget that mothers, regardless of whether you live in poverty or not, do want to be connected, appreciated, right? Mm. So I think that's a, a big lesson for us to learn. Uh, I couldn't help but think of this phrase, okay? Maya Angelou, and she said this, right? And she said, I learned that people will forget what you said and people will forget what you did. But I think people will never forget how you made them feel. And that was something that I heard about the experience in this journey, about how you were made to feel and that helped you in your journey. And now how you paid forward to help other mothers in this community feel that it's not just about living in poverty, but that there are so much more possibilities. 
So I thought uh, that was what I took away from your pressure sharing uh, about what you just said. Um, at this juncture, right, because we asked so many questions, right? It sounds very social, right? Okay, so <laughs> we thought, let's take a role change and let you take the hot seat, right? <laughs> and say, okay, you know, I'm very curious. Is there uh, any questions that you would like to ask social workers? Actually, basically, I think there's this one question that has been like really I've been wanting to ask because one way or another, I'm inspired to be a social worker. Like that, there was this one part where I tell my husband, I want to study back. I want to take on social work. Then my husband said, you sure or not? <laughs> because my husband know, knowing the type of person I am, I cannot see people like in trouble or what. I will just go all out to help. Then you say, then if everyone in the community you help, then you left with what you got no energy already. I'm saying like, oh, okay, yeah, I think that that's why I cannot do social work. So one way or another for me to give way like this, like just to attend, like just become a support group and all. So I I wanna know whether for social workers, right? Does the cases that they take on really impact them? one way or another like in their lives like maybe you have cases where it really impacted you or maybe like you know that we are lying straight from our teeth but you just have to like <laughs> okay okay i understand i see through it i want to know how you guys do it. how do you really like control your emotions and feelings for all this like sometimes i'm sure you come across cases who are like really heartfelt or even cases where you know this one straight up lying. <laughs> lying, the lie but you to be taking with you quite a bit. Yeah, because, because I know, like I say, when you mingle with your community, people tend to boast that they, oh, I just lied to my social worker. <laughs> you, you understand? So I'm like, eh, social worker happy with it, you lie? So so that's why I, I want to know like you you guys are sincerely helping them. But I'm sure one way or another you know that oh this is not why it's going on. But you still went out all your way to help them one way or another. So I I, I was just curious like, how you are like when you end work, will you just close it and just leave it at work and go home or will you take it home? As I'm hearing, because I I'm not from um SEC, right? So I think all of these things I'm here are very new to me. Um, and I think based on my understanding, I think the social workers here are very, very grateful. And I think they really appreciate all the work that you're doing. And as I hear you speak also, like, I think of like the things that I try to do with some of my clients in my own space. But because I'm not in that position, right? I can say it like 15,000 times over two years. But it's different when it comes from someone who is a mom. So I think we can't compare it in this way. I think whatever that you have contributed is also like very valuable and because of your position it provides a different perspective that is maybe easier for people to take in as well um, but if you do want to be a social worker I mean to answer then the next question right I think you asked two questions right one whether or not there are any cases that really affect us very deeply and I think number two like how do we how do we essentially like create some sort of boundary, I'm guessing, between mm -hmm. um, our workspace and our personal space or uh, maybe how we navigate difficult conversations or so that like things like lying or dishonesty or maybe even like um, when relationships kind of rupture or like break. Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I don't know if this is normal, but I think the people that know me in my personal capacity would think that I... Uh, care about my work maybe a bit too much like I don't know if that's the norm but I, I think maybe the people that choose to listen to this podcast also you care a little bit more about your work beyond the nine to the six for me whatever broad issues that we're looking at are really also like societal issues that can affect any person right so like what you were saying about poverty and how um, all these different layers right you are saying that this kind of be it financial limitations or social disconnection or even that mental distress, right? It could literally happen to anyone in any like space of economy. You could be really rich, you could be really poor and it could happen to you. Yeah, I guess I, I definitely have certain cases or clients or faces that I remember or I associate 
like my learning too and like the feelings uh, that I have about what I experienced or didn't do so well in that session or in that case or like things that I'm growing and learning in also. So I think it's very hard to like just say like you pack up your feelings and your emotions. But I think Ming would know that. I think I told her like last time when we first started, like, I have an iPad and I just write all my thoughts in the iPad for work. And then like after six, okay, what I knew about I just write the iPad and then I kind of close that a little bit. Yeah, but I would say there are definitely situations in which I wake up sometimes at like 3 a.m. Maybe this mother-son relationship that just kept going back and forth and, and there was, it seemed like there was no end. Yeah, and then I would have to literally get out of bed and I have to write down how I feel so that I can take it away from my mind for a while so I can at least rest and go back to it again. Yeah, so I, I think sometimes it's not so easy to just separate ourselves from it. I know sometimes some workers also have like a lot of anxiety and also a lot of like we might have dreams about their clients yeah yeah, but I think I think healthy relationships are meant to be able to withstand conflict right so even if it's things like lying or like dishonesty Mm -hmm. I think if we can talk about it right and then we talk about how we feel so in that relationship having experienced that and and what it does lie. I mean like even between any person right if you lie to another person what it does to that relationship and why I care about the relationship so I bring it up mm-hmm. yeah so I think that would be the ideal way like to um, be able to just talk openly about things that make us uncomfortable in any relationship and I don't think it's significantly different from like other relationships we have outside of work mm-hmm. yeah so I think I don't know if it was Ruth or yourself who said that I think it was yourself. You said like uh how your worker was like a friend to you. Uh, yeah. yeah. So sometimes to me, like I think when I see like a worker in their worker space and their non-worker space, I feel very confused. How how does that work? Like it's so different. I think the work gets easier if there is like a lot of congruence. Like if you don't have to keep turning things on and off, right? Yeah, I think that's when you can reconcile things easier and people can experience you as a person. And I think you're already doing that in your own capacity. Yeah, you're using yourself, uh, your strengths, your voice, and, and you're using that to facilitate things for people in your community. Yeah, so I don't know if that answers the question. Okay, <laughs> I can share a little bit. Uh, two things, right? Any cases that deeply impact I can still remember, even from 20 years ago, the families and the members and their children. And I think those that I remember the most were two types. One is those that I had created a strong worker relationship. Means that somehow there was trust, there was relationship, and those families actually were able to work alongside, like how you just shared. Mm. And somehow, even though we can somehow be known that we also figure out along the way that we get lied to once in a while, right? Small white lies. But we know that it doesn't change the fact that we are still working together. So I must say when I was younger as a social worker, right, I would agree that we will talk about always getting lied to because another member would tell us that the person say the person doesn't do all these things, but the person is doing all that things in the coffee shop that's nearby. And the person says, you know, so so you will come and like, I just got, you know, spooked again, right? Um, but then I say, hey, you know, maybe if we see it rather than it being lied to, why do they lie to us? And then we started having questions like maybe because the system is such that when you want to get assistance, they must say in a manner that proved them worthy to get the assistance. That's why they're lying to you. And I think when you start looking at it from the perspective, then you know that the little white lies they tell you is nothing personal. But really, it's within what you need to seek support, to support their families. Then I think over time, right, it's okay that we are being lied to and we know that we are being lied also over time. We get wiser, okay? So the other thing is, over the years as social workers, we get wiser, right? And we know where we get lied to, but we also learn as a result of it that maybe we need to deepen that relationship. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I remember a mother that really, she was a single mother doing two part-time jobs. And I remember we always, you know, like uh, in, in, in SSOs or in FSCs, you run a lot of programs and then we make them sign up for the programs and say, you want to get assistance, you must join our programs. Then 
And I remembered the single parent mother, right? She's the only single mother with two young kids. And because I was pretty close with her and working with her, she always say yes, like she's the yes woman, right? Because I social worker call me, I better do her. And she's like really, really good. So finally, one time she said, I, I can't ask her that honestly, are there times when she don't want to come? And then she, yeah, <laughs> I could see, I used like, yeah, a lot of times, yes. <laughs> so finally, he said, do you want the truth or not? And I said, huh? You mean you've been lying to me? And it was like five years on already. And she said, yeah, actually sometimes I don't want to come on a Saturday to attend your programs. I just want to be a mother to my kids. I want to just have uninterrupted time to bring my children and just be at home to do my housework on the day that I don't have to work and see my children and not have them follow me to a family service center to join programs or sound like I get financial assistance and I must join this budgeting workshop that makes me look like I'm doing good. And then it was awakening, right? Oh, and I told her, you know what? I think it's great you can tell me. And I think you can let me know when there are times that you're really tired. And it's not because you are resistant, but actually you just want to be a mother to your children. And I think that wake-up call for me as a social worker taught me that it wasn't about the lies, but it was about the intention of what they were trying to say, that they worried they'll be judged. Okay. Yeah, so I learned the most out of two types of members. One is those whom I'm closest with and able to tell me honestly, and I learned through this. And the second one is the challenging ones that who lie all the time because I learned the most lessons from them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, and it's not a bad thing. It means that maybe how social workers present ourselves as professionals doesn't get through to people who want to be spoken to heart to heart. And they've got so much in their baggage, there's so much pain for them that they don't want to worry too much about what other people think of you when they come and ask for help because there is already so much shame and face that they have to put aside to ask for help for their family whom they love so much. So I've also started to appreciate that these are the ones that I learned the lessons most. And, and so we get wiser. And it's okay to be lied to. As though we must know we are being lied to at some point, we know, right? <laughs> and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. so that's me. I really love the question that you asked. And actually, I think that question shows that you also reflect, right, about the relationship that you have with the different stakeholders. That it's not just... I take from you, but you are also then concerned about how mm -hmm. you're doing. And I think that question about does the cases really impact us? I think you were asking whether they impact us negatively. I think definitely. Um, but there are also positives from, from the experiences. I think as social workers or anyone in the helping profession, if we take a moment, close our eyes and just think, right, there will definitely be a case that we might think is quote unquote difficult resistant, challenging, and different experiences that we have with these members, mm -hmm. with clients, they take a piece of us, whether it's get angry, mm -hmm. we get frustrated, mm -hmm. we get exasperated, like, why are you like this? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. and, and I tell myself in each of these spaces that we are human, right? Mm -hmm. And using ourselves, that concept of use of self, congruence, as Rachel mentioned, that makes us better practitioners because it is in our humanness that we can really build stronger relationships with the people that we work with and for me i think um, it was really a blessing to, to, to enter into your space earlier as you shared your story right because it gave me a glimpse of all that you had gone through of course i'm sure there's so much more right but in my practice as a social worker i hear little glimpses of each of these mm -hmm. and i think it helps me make sense of this larger world that i live in and it's difficult sometimes, right? That ability to be reflexive, to consider um, the larger context that I find myself in, the context that our members find ourselves in. Um, but I think it then strengthens my ability to make sense of this world, to deal with the nuances, to deal with the complexities, but then learn how to live a bit more simply. Yeah, so that part about seeing the whole of the whole story, right? Mm -hmm. And then just um, being simple in the ways that we interact. 
that we bring that authenticity. Um, about boundaries, I think I think one thing that's super helpful for me is that um, visualization is something I do. So every time I leave the office, right, I remind myself that my job of the day was to help members take out the baggages that they had from their bags. Mm-hmm. But it's not for me then to put it into my own bags. And as I leave the office, I think there are other roles that I also play, right? Like yourself, you're a mother, you're a wife, you're a community connector. And there are different hats that I put on at different times of the day. So when I leave the office, I tell myself, this bag that I'm carrying, I don't need to carry my members' baggages with me myself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it does get to me, but then we find spaces, right? Whether it be through SWMA for me, uh, or even conversations with friends, and for yourself, maybe it's then talking to um, people that are dear to you about some of these thoughts that you have. I think those then are spaces that can enrich us as well. So thank you for that question, Vidi. <laughs> Do you have any other questions for us, actually? Oh, I think basically that, that's the main question that I've been like asking myself. Mm-hmm. Like, like because okay, like, those who are working in the social work line, right, it's really strong like in your heart, you know, like, like Ruth said. Like really, like when Fang say she don't take their baggage into hers. So I realized that you guys have your own ways on how you put the line to it. Like. So that's what I've been like thinking, you know, like why do you like you all venture into social work? <laughs> like there's one more question, you know, why why do you what makes you venture into social work? I I I like sometimes I think that social work is a very like, noble job. Like you really have to go deep and do all the means that you can because you know that one way or another you need to help them. But then isn't it too tiring for you guys? Like got no other job school. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like so sometimes we, we wonder you know, like what what makes you be, want to become a social worker? Very difficult to answer. Why don't the viewers answer? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah. So I guess the question, right, is really that I use asking everyone, right? Uh, earlier on is, you know, are there really cases that impact you in the course of the work, in social work? Um, even though there are times we might too. Second, I also hear, why join social work even though there are so much challenges? Right, and that's really something for us, food for thought. Uh, and so maybe we will take it as, as that, right? To, to think, and it's now for <laughs> the rest of you to to reflect a little bit uh, about why you do what you do. Uh, and I'm really thankful uh, that Ayu asked us that question um, and the curiosities of a member um, around why we work um, in this world. Right, so with that, I do want to, you know, leave you at that question. Okay, thanks Ruth and Ayu so much for joining us on this special episode. I think um, we're really privileged to have a member's voice be part of um, this space which we call the social service sector or the helping sector. Yeah, I think um, your sharing uh, is also different from if we were to share through the lenses of a social worker. Yeah, so I think there are also some things for IDEP that you guys can check out uh, and to see more because I understand that there are lots of other agencies also participating. And if there's ever opportunity to um, invite IU back on, I think we can also see more about what other things we can do. Uh, thank you so much to both of you for coming. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.